This past week I was reading through the book of Acts and I got to the 28th chapter and noticed that Paul quoted from the book of Isaiah and it, it's a passage that we find in several places in the New Testament. And what I wanted to do in looking at the places in which that prophecy is found is give some thought to our response to the message of God. Because what that particular prophecy, and this is Isaiah the uh, sixth chapter, the section that is quoted often in the New Testament, in each context it has to do with a response to God's message. Here is the message, and here is man's response to that message. It's quoted somewhat in all four gospel accounts. But it's in the book of Matthew where the larger portion of the scripture is found, which is basically the same portion that is found in the 28th chapter of the book of Acts. It's also referenced somewhat in the book of Romans, but the larger quotations are found in Matthew and then in the book of Acts. Now that's important because you're going to notice in the outline that I'm looking at those different places as we make observations about how man would respond to, to, to God's message. And it does begin in the sixth chapter of the book of Isaiah, and soon after he was commissioned to be a prophet. He hears the, the voice of the Lord saying to him, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Now, this prophecy was written about 700 B.C. It was a time historically when the Assyrian Empire was increasing in power, and the nation of Israel was in a period of decline, spiritually as well as politically. And what God called Isaiah to do, what he sent him to do was to present a message of judgment. Now, the city of Jerusalem, which was the capital of the nation, would come under attack and would fall about 114 years after Isaiah's message. It would fall at the hands of the Babylonians. So with the passing of the Assyrian Empire, there would be the Babylonian Empire, and it would be that empire that God would use to judge the southern kingdom of Judah. But if you look at Isaiah chapter 6, it's, it's interesting to consider the way that God presented Isaiah's mission. Notice Isaiah responds, Here am I, send me. Uh, the first approach that I'm going to take in the lesson is to ask the question, how did Isaiah respond to the message of God? Not just how did the Israelites respond to the message of Isaiah, which was God's message, but when God brought a message to Isaiah and said, you go speak this to the people, how did Isaiah respond? Well, Isaiah responded by saying, here am I, send me. But notice beginning in verse 9, God said, go and tell this people. Keep on listening, but do not perceive. 
keep on looking, but do not understand. Render the hearts of this people insensitive, their ears dull and their eyes dim. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and return and be healed. Now, what is it about that message that you find a little bit unusual? What is it that he tells Isaiah that you would not expect? It sounds like what God is telling Isaiah is, I want the people to fail. I want them to reject the message. I want them to go into Babylonian captivity. That is what I want for them. Keep on listening, but do not perceive. Keep on looking, but do not understand. Render the hearts of this people insensitive, their ears dull, and their eyes dim. It sounds like he's setting Isaiah up to fail. But you have to remember something. You have to remember that it was the spiritual condition of the people to whom Isaiah would be sent that would result in this negative response. God didn't want them to fail. You read the Bible, you're, you're not going to come away from a reading of the Scriptures with the understanding that God isn't on the side of the righteous. God wants all men to be saved. He wants all men to come to repentance. He sent his son to die on the cross so that all would be saved. He takes no delight in the death of the sinner. That's all over the Bible. But in the case of those who have set themselves against God, and this was not all of the people, there would be a righteous remnant. There have always been a minority of individuals who are going to respond positively to God's message. We read further in verse 11, Then I said, Lord, how long? Well, that's a good question. So you want me to go and preach to these people who are not going to listen? They're not going to respond they're going to reject the message. Can we put a time limit on this? I mean, I think I can only endure this for so long. I mean, I did sign up for it. I did say, here am I, send me. But am I really going to have to spend the rest of my life working among people, preaching to people who, for the most part, are just not going to listen? They're not going to respond favorably. How would you like to have been uh, Isaiah? How would you like to have been given that job? Well, God answered and he said, until cities are devastated and, and without inhabitant, houses are without people and the land is utterly desolate. Who are these people? Chapter 5 of the book of Isaiah, God is relating the history of the nation and how that God had brought them out of Egyptian bondage. They were his, his special chosen people. He had raised them up. He had brought them into the land of promise. He had blessed them in every possible conceivable way. And yet in verse 7 of chapter 5, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the men of Judah, his delightful plant. Then he looked for justice and behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, a cry of distress. The people had become spiritually bankrupt. 
Verse 11, woe to those who rise early in the morning that they may pursue strong drink. Who stay up late in the evening that wine may inflame them. Their banquets, their banquets are accompanied by lyre and harp, by tambourine and flute, and by wine, but they do not pay attention to the deeds of the Lord, nor do they consider the work of His hands. They were living unexamined lives. They were not thinking about anything other than their present situation. And yet God said, I want you to go preach to these people. And I don't want you to stop. For the rest of your life, you're going to be preaching this message. The response is going to be negative. There will be some who will respond favorably, but for the most part, you're going to be rejected. But remember, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. It's the same thing that God said to Samuel when the people asked for a king. God said, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. And these people were rejecting God. How would you have responded? Would you have taken on that mission? Would you have taken on that work? Years later, there was another prophet by the name of Ezekiel who was called to speak after the city of Jerusalem fell. He was taken into captivity. Actually, he spoke before and after. The city of Jerusalem fell. He was taken into captivity. And, and the, the result of the rejection of the Israelites to Isaiah's message became a reality in the time of Ezekiel. And now this prophet is sent. He is commissioned to go. Notice in Ezekiel, the second chapter, beginning at verse 3. He said to me, Son of man, I'm sending you to the sons of Israel, to a rebellious people who have rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. I am sending you to them who are stubborn and obstinate children, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord. In other words, whatever I tell you to say, you're going to say it. Whether they like it or not, do not change the message. It's your responsibility to preach the message. I will give you the message. Do not change the message. As for them, whether they listen or not, for they are a rebellious house, they will know that the prophet has been among them because they're going to hear my word. And you, son of man, neither fear them nor fear their words, though thistles and thorns are with you, and you sit on scorpions. Does that sound like a pleasant life? It doesn't matter how bad it gets. You're going to have to keep speaking this message. Neither fear their words nor be dismayed at their presence, for they are a rebellious house. But you shall speak my words to them, whether they listen or not, for they are rebellious. Now you, son of man, listen. Listen to what I'm speaking to you. How do we respond to the message? Do not be rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I'm giving you. Then I looked, and behold, a hand was extended to me, and a, a scroll was in it. When he, he ate paper too. When he spread it out before me, it was written on the front and back, and written on it were lamentations, mourning, and woe. It's not a pleasant message. It's not the health and wealth gospel. 
Then he said to me, Son of man, eat what you find. Eat this scroll and go and speak to the house of Israel. Make my word a part of who you are. So I opened my mouth and he fed me this scroll and he said to me, Son of man, feed your stomach and, and fill your body with this scroll which I'm giving you. Then I ate it and it was sweet as honey in my mouth. It was sweet as honey because it was God's message. Then he said to me, Son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak with my words to them for you are not being sent to a people of unintelligible speech or difficult language, but to the house of Israel. They're going to understand if they choose to understand. Nor to many peoples of unintelligible speech or difficult language whose words you cannot understand. You're going to be speaking the same language. That's not the problem. The problem is going to be in their heart as to whether or not they respond to my message, but I have sent you to them who should listen to you. They should listen. Yet the house of Israel will not be willing to listen since they're not willing to listen to me. They're not rejecting you. They're not even rejecting the message. They're rejecting me. Surely the whole house of Israel is stubborn and obstinate. Behold, I have made your face as hard as their faces and your forehead as hard as their foreheads. He's going to be a hard head. And he needs to be a hard head because he's going to be preaching to hard-headed people. Like emery harder than flint, I've made your forehead. Do not be afraid of them or be dismayed before them, though they are a rebellious house. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, take into your heart all my words, which I will speak to you and listen closely. Go to the exiles, to the sons of your people, and speak to them and tell them whether they listen or not. Thus says the Lord God. Have you given up? How have you responded to God's message? Have you decided that people are just not going to change? Have you decided that people are just going to continue to live in rebellion? Well, that may be a correct assumption. That may be true. But our response to God's message is what? Here am I. Send me. For the rest of your life, even though you may feel like you're working among thorns and thistles and sitting on scorpions, just keep on. The second place in which this passage is found in a significant portion is Matthew chapter 13. And this is where Jesus begins teaching the disciples in parables. And at this particular place, we find the parable of the sower, which incidentally is a parable about man's response to God's message, isn't it? You have different responses based upon the condition of the heart. But in quoting this passage, Jesus is drawing attention to the fact that there's a reason for me teaching in parables. You'll notice in verse 10, the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And Jesus answered and said, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been granted. Now you'll notice if you study the different accounts of Jesus' life, he would quite often, for his disciples, he would explain to them the meaning of the parable. But they wanted to know. They wanted to know what it meant. They wanted to be members of that soon-to-be-established kingdom, but they were in the minority. They were in the minority. Verse 12, For whoever has, to him more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. And he's speaking of knowledge. If you open your heart up to the truth, 
then I'll put the truth in your heart and you'll have the foundation that will allow you to receive more truth. If you close your heart to the truth, then even what you have will be taken from you. Therefore I speak to them in parables because while seeing they do not see and while hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Why? Is it because God wanted it that way? Did God want them to fail spiritually? Did God want them to reject the message? Did God want them to be lost? In their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled. So it not only had relevance for the day of Isaiah and even for Ezekiel, but it has relevance for his time, that is the time of Jesus, as well. You will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. Why? For the heart of this people has become dull. With their eyes they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they would see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return, and I would heal them. I wonder if the church today is full of dull hearts. Hearts that have been hardened by sin. Hearts that have been hardened by discouragement. Hearts that have been hardened by the world. Hearts that have been hardened by this, this lifetime of speaking a message that is rejected over and over and over again. Or hearts that just don't want to hear the message. Oh, we want to be religious. We want to sit on a pew. We want to give the appearance that we desire to be religious. We want our kids to see that. But on the inside, we're like those whitewashed tombs. On the outside, we look good. But on the inside, we're full of dead men's bones. And why were they that way? Their hearts were dull. The second point, we should praise our God for the message. If you're following the message, if you're listening to the message, if you're hearing the message, if you're responding to the message, if you are living life not just under the sun, but life beyond the sun, life beyond this life, life beyond this world, then you should praise God because everything tastes better. Everything tastes better with God. Work is better. Marriage is better. Raising children is better. Everything is better. My house is better. My car is better. Everything I have is better because I'm living my life with God. I know that there's something beyond this life. And so life now is better. Life now is what I want it to be because what I want it to be is a life lived in view of eternity. Blessed are your eyes, verse 16, because they see. And your ears because they hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it. And it wasn't because they had bad hearts. It's because of the time in which they lived. We live in the time of fulfillment. They were living in the time of fulfillment. They were going to see the kingdom of God come with power. There would be some who were listening who would not die before they saw that kingdom of God come with power. They did not see it. They desired to hear what you hear, and, and they did not hear it. Now, I don't know about you, but when I, when I read what the Bible says about those prophets, 
God thought very highly of them. In fact, in the book of Hebrews, not only are the prophets, but those who live by faith, the Hebrew author said, these are men of which the world is not worthy. These men are too good for the world. That's what God said about them. Now, the world didn't see it that way. Historically, it is believed that Isaiah was sawn in two. That's how his life ended. Jeremiah was repeatedly thrown into the cistern and allowed to sink in the mud up to his waist. He was the weeping prophet. Why did he weep? It's because of the people. The people wouldn't listen to the message. What a miserable life, this side of eternity. Have you noticed how men like Elijah, because of the power and the strength of Jezebel, said, God, I want to die. I want to die. I'm tired of living. I'm tired of this. Get me out of this mess, God. Life, death is better to me than, than life. And really, death is better than life. What you have to look forward to is much better than what you have behind you and what you have between now and the time that you die. And for those reasons, we should praise God for the message because the message is about eternal life. It's not about the here and now. I'm mindful of the words of the Apostle Peter who wrote about the, the outcome of our faith which would be the salvation of our souls. And he then said in verse 10, As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. You think about the, the 53rd chapter of the book of Isaiah. You remember that chapter that the Ethiopian eunuch was reading as he left Jerusalem, the place where he went to worship, and he was going back to his home in Ethiopia, and he saw Philip, and, he, and Philip asked him if he understood what he was reading, and then he asked the question, well, is he speaking about himself or is he speaking about someone else? And then from that point, he preached Christ to them. But just imagine what his, Isaiah was thinking. Isaiah, when he wrote the 53rd chapter of the book of Isaiah, which was a, a prophecy of the suffering servant, what was going through Isaiah's mind at that time? He was searching. He was making careful inquiry. He wanted to know. He wanted to understand. And it was revealed to them, verse 12, that they were not serving themselves, but you in these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. You know, the preacher cannot understand. He cannot understand. What is that people will come to a church building and sit on a pew and go to sleep? Preachers have a hard time with that. That's why I preach. It's easier for me when I'm sitting on the pew to start dozing off because I'm that kind of guy. You put me in a lazy chair, buddy, I'm, I'm, I'm close to being out. I don't want a comfortable pew. I want an uncomfortable pew. Well, the reason preachers can't understand that is because prophets, men of whom the world was not even worthy, longed 
to understand. Angels longed to understand. Well, if you can pique the interest of men of whom the world is not worthy, if you can pique the interest of angels, why can't you pique the interest of those who are the recipients of this message, who are the beneficiaries of this message, who live in this time? Why can't we praise God for that message? Chapter 2, therefore putting aside, verse 1, 1 Peter chapter 2, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. When I understand what it is that I have before me, I want to put those things aside. Like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. We should praise our God for the message. And the final point I would make, and this is the point I would take away from the third place in which I find that Isaiah passage quoted, and that is that we, we should pray for wisdom and strength to just press forward. Regardless of the response, regardless of how stubborn and obstinate people may seem, we just got to press forward. Paul went to Rome. He went to Rome and he preached the gospel. There were Jews assembled in the synagogue there to hear the message. And they wanted to hear more. So they set a day for him to come back. In verse 23, they set that day and they came to him in his lodging in large numbers and he was explaining to them by solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God and trying to persuade them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and from the prophets from morning until evening. Hey, there was no rock concert there. There were no hamburgers. There were no hot dogs. There was no, you come to my church and you'll get rich. There was this preaching about the kingdom. There was an effort to persuade them from the law of Moses and the prophets. And it wasn't a sermonette. It wasn't a, let's get it done in 20 minutes. Let's get it done in 30 minutes. It was from morning until evening. Some were being persuaded, verse 24, by the things spoken, but others would not believe. And when they did not agree with one another, they began leaving after Paul had spoken one parting word. This is the last thing he said. This is the last truth that many of those Jews heard for the rest of their lives. The Holy Spirit rightly spoke through Isaiah the prophet to your fathers, saying... Go to this people and say, you will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You'll keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull. And with their ears, they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return, and I would heal them. Wouldn't it be sad if that was the last thing that was ever said to you from the scriptures. You never obey the gospel. You never respond to God's message so as to be saved eternally. That's the last thing you ever hear. Therefore, let it be known to you, verse 28, that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. 
they will also listen. And then he went. When the response is not as it should be, sometimes it takes wisdom. Paul left. He, he, he didn't preach to them again. He would have been open to do that. But he left because of their response. You remember what Jesus said, Do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them under feet and turn and tear you to pieces. It comes at a point at which you just have to shake the dust off your feet and move on. It takes wisdom to do that. It takes strength to do that. And it takes prayer to have the wisdom to do that. And it takes perspective. I believe Paul had that perspective even though we see in his life that he struggled with it. But I, he, he came to see something very important. And, and we read about this in his correspondence to the church at, at Corinth, that church that was so divided and that was following different preachers and they were making decisions based upon worldly criteria. And this is 1 Corinthians, not 2 Corinthians. It's 1 Corinthians Chapter 3, verse 5, he asked the question, What then is Apollos and what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed. Each, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one, I planted, Apollos watered. But look at it. God was causing the growth. God was the one who was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything. Well, that's us. We're nothing but servants. We just have the message. We have the obligation to preach the message. We are to be the ones who say, Here am I, send me. And then he said, again, God causes the growth. He who plants, he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. God is the one who causes the change as those good and honest hearts are affected by the gospel message. There's a lot to think about here. You would. Let's go to God in prayer now.